Ladies and gentlemen, we're here today to seek truth, to seek justice. Are you here to confirm that Daredevil is responsible for this, Detective? What do you want? Justice. Welcome to Now Playing's Daredevil and Elektra Retrospective Series. Time to give the devil his due. Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. Devil is mine. Hosted by Jacob. You had no right to drag me into this. Stuart. I was afraid if I told you you wouldn't take the job. And Arnie. When you've done the things I've done, you make a lot of enemies. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new installment of the series. This is what I'm talking about. This is going to be great for business. And keep coming back as we continue to look at all the Marvel comic book movie adaptations. Sounds a little far-fetched. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. So listen if you dare. For your sake, I hope justice is found here today before justice finds you. Let's play! Today we're discussing Elektra, starring Jennifer Garner, Goran Vishnik, Kristen Prout, Lillian Lee, and Terrence Stamp. Kneel before Terrence. I'm Arnie, your Elektra-fied host of Now Playing. Oh, we're starting like that, <laughs> are we? A pun deserving of this movie. This is Stuart in LA. And this is Jacob, the treasure of Now Playing. <laughs> well, we always thought you were the little girl. <laughs> So we are back with the Daredevil spin-off slash sequel slash something that came out in 2005. Another early year release, this one January 14th, not going for the Valentine's Day, which they could have with her red outfit, you know, red, Valentine. The only thing worse than a February release is a January release. (laughs) Ain't that the truth. (laughs) I will say this. There are very few movies in this entire Marvel retrospective that I have not seen. And this is one of the few that I didn't see in theaters. And Daredevil hadn't sold me, and this looked awful. The trailers were terrible. They didn't even mention Daredevil. They mentioned X-Men. And I was curious, how did she live? I rented this on DVD when it came out. And as we're going to talk about, I got about 45 minutes into this, and I walked away and remember almost nothing coming into it for this viewing all i have are like negative feelings like a psychic talking to the grave electra bad i couldn't give you any specifics though but now thanks to now playing i own three copies thank you now playing <laughs> of course <laughs> you know all our fans on the forums and on facebook complain that we make them go see some of these bad movies but you got to appreciate arnie's dedication where he's buying three versions of these movies i had to buy The director's cut twice, once on Blu-ray for the actual watching, once on DVD so I could watch the bonus features while traveling, and then I needed the theatrical cut only available on DVD. So yes, thanks to Amazon used movies, I own this movie thrice. Will I recommend (laughs) you own it? We'll find out. I did my homework, too, in a different approach. I actually went back to Euripides, believe it or not. (laughs) Euripides, can they give you penicillin for that? (laughs) It's incurable, apparently. (laughs) Electra is a Greek mythological character. I couldn't remember her story, so I wanted to remind myself what they were taking from classic Greek myth 
to put into this movie. I can't tell you much that is similar to what we see in this movie. I mean, the character is the daughter of a hero from the Trojan War, who, when he returns, is murdered by his wife and her lover. Consequently, Electra teams up with her brother to put her mom down. And maybe the other reason why you might know the name is Freud uses her and this character from Greek myth as his template to talk about penis envy. That's what I know Electra from. And I was kept watching, you know, I like to look for subtext. Go back and listen to our Rambo shows. I saw phallic symbols all over in that one. I couldn't even find any penis envy in this film. That's how disappointed I was. I agree. I guess you could write maybe a half a page on her kendo stick, but truly, for phallic <laughs> symbols, you're really scratching here. It's not there. As far as I can tell, there's no connection to Greek myth to Freud, to anything going on in this movie. If it's about anything, it's about what came out of the comic. Well, that is my question, then. If this movie has no tie to Greek myth, Jacob, does the comic have a tie to Greek myth, or is she just named because Electra sounds like electricity and is kind of cool? I mean, she's Greek in the comic, just like I assuming the original Electra, or the one based the myths are based on. I mean, she has a brother... But no, she has a couple of different origin stories. The one thing that fits is that she is born as her mother is dying, which, based on what you just said, Stuart, doesn't sound like the Greek myth at all. That's the father dies and the mother lives. So, Stuart, you read more of the Greek myth than Frank Miller did. <laughs> it's a cool name, hey, Electra. It has the connotations of something you feel like you should know and probably have forgotten, unless you are in Hellenic studies. <laughs> if they can deliver an assassin character that's worth its weight, then I guess I'll live without subtext this time. Frank Miller, I could talk about that guy for hours trying to figure him out. I'm guessing he just thought, hey, let's take some literary mythic Greek stuff and it will make our comics look smarter. I'm just surprised with a name like Electra, she's not, you know, the female counterpart to Spider-Man villain Electro and shooting static electricity out of her fingertips. So I'll take what I can get here. Look, whatever the deal is with her and not fitting her Greek origin, she's a badass character. She's one of the most popular female characters in comics. Really? And it's all because of Frank Miller. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, what he did with Daredevil is he took this swashbuckling Errol Flynn type hero and turned it into a martial arts story. And now you add a female ninja assassin that runs around in a skirt showing lots of leg. People got excited about that. He really brought in the melodrama with the love story between Daredevil and Elektra. People noticed her because she showed up in Daredevil, but that relationship and her story is built up so much in the comics that she became a hugely popular character. See, that's what's funny is in watching this movie, Jacob, there's some villains in this film that we'll talk about that the first time I watched it, I thought were just made up for this freaking film because they were stupid. And it turns out they're actually Electra characters. I've never heard of these. I'm not, you know, the comic book guy. You are. But I've gone waiting in the comic book Marvel pool, and these names never bubbled to the top of anything I've ever read. So, Well, I'm not going to say a lot of her supporting cast does, but come on, you've heard of Elektra. I mean, everyone knows about the Elektra being killed by Bullseye. I mean, that's one of the great stories in comics. Yeah, I knew of Elektra, but I didn't know of the rest of it. I know the Frank Miller Daredevil run with Elektra is cherished. So I guess that's why we have an Elektra film then. 
instead of Daredevil 2? <laughs> Why build off a Daredevil? Even if Elektra was a cool character and there's a strong fanboy base for her like why try to build that off of the daredevil myth it just seems like it's a losing proposition daredevil opened huge it overall disappointed but it broke president's day weekend records now i realize that movie studios are sitting there looking at things every different way they're like we broke the record for the biggest friday 7 p.m showing among children under two but it did have a big opening, a big enough opening to show that there was interest. But I said last podcast, Affleck became a bit of a pariah after Daredevil, didn't he? He was untouchable. Like he, Even Lopez was like, get away from me, right? <laughs> you have a valid point there. It's one of those sticky situations where we have a hit that disappointed. It's kind of where Ang Lee was when he put out Hulk or when they put out Godzilla in the 90s. It's like, yeah, we made some money on this. And yet, does anyone want more? I agree. Electra was a probably cost-effective way of testing the waters to see if there was still interest in this part of the Marvel Universe. And I think coming out of it, Jennifer Garner was hot with Alias and 13 going on 30. There was interest in her. And with Gigli surviving Christmas, Jersey Girl, there was a distinct choice made by audiences to not see any more Ben Affleck. In fact, they filmed a scene for this movie with Ben Affleck only because Jennifer Garner demanded it. Oh. And I guess it's a good thing she did because it was from that that now they are married. They rekindled their romance on that one day shoot. But the studio didn't want to afflict Affleck on this film. <laughs> that is telling. So they wanted a movie that had a strong opening like Daredevil, but didn't have Affleck in it is basically what you're saying. Yeah. A lot can happen in two years. I, I think I understand what you're saying, Arnie. It's the guy went from being a leading man to box office poison. And I guess I get that. I would also interject from a movie perspective, she's fitting right in there with what A-list actresses were doing in the early part of this new millennium. Is Everyone felt like they needed to get their action on. And so you had Angelina Jolie doing Tomb Raider, Mia Jovovich doing Resident Evil, Charlie's Angels. Halle Berry doing Catwoman? I wasn't <laughs> bold enough to speak that name but it's probably the most apropos comparison here. Charlize Theron, she got an Oscar and went on to do Eon Flux. It was the thing to do. And so if Garner wanted to be perceived on their level, she was going to have to do it. And I feel like all of them were hoping to be the one that really, I think, sticks. The one that I think people really go back to, and that's Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. That's probably the reason why we have an Electra movie, is because Kill Bill hit. Really? You think that? I do. I never put those two together. I kind of see why you might think that. To me, though, if I think of tough women from the early 2000s, it's always Jolie and not just Tomb Raider. Just about any of her roles where she was kicking ass. Her life. Her yeah. personal story. <laughs> sleeping with knives and vials of blood around her neck. Yeah. I mean, the same year as this, Mr. and Mrs. Smith came out. You know, I think Jolie is the template from the time you named Jolie's the Queen. And Alias itself. I mean, that obviously was a big hit show, and this 
if anything, as much as spin off the Daredevil, this feels like the big screen adaptation of Alias. It's an assassin movie. I dare call this a superhero. I mean, to me, a superhero has supernatural powers and is altruistic. This is just La Femme Nikita, right? I mean, she's just a hit woman now. By the 70s in comics, there was a strong tradition of the anti-hero. And so, when we get into the Punisher series, I mean, Elektra fits right into there. I mean, in the comics, again, she was hired by Kingpin to go do hits, and Matt Murdock and Elektra Nacio they didn't know each other's alter egos and so they would fight as Electra and Daredevil and then date as Electra and Matt Murdock. She has the worst cover name ever. <laughs> it's, it's very specific. It, it sticks in your mind very well. <laughs> If you are an assassin in disguise, don't give yourself a name of a classic assassin. Or don't use your real name. If her real name is Electra, shouldn't she be like Jane Doe, the assassin? (laughs) (laughs) Electra, where have I heard that name before? Oh, my girlfriend. That's right. (laughs) It's a common name. You might get it confused with your other Electra friends. Well, you know, they said in this movie that her mother must have had a sense of humor. It's like even the movie's poking fun of that name. But when you're building so closely to Daredevil and having just watched that last week, I'm really wondering how this character is going to continue because the last time I checked in with her, she got stabbed and killed. My biggest question coming into Elektra is where does she go from there? Maybe the best thing to do at this point is to get into the plot. Arnie, you got one for us? Well, I do. Did Zach Penn? When last we saw Electra, she was dead, stabbed through by Bullseye with her own sigh. But what we didn't see was Electra's mysterious resurrection, handled by Sage Master Stick, played by Terrence Stamp. Stick tries to train Electra in Kimiguri, which includes the ability to see the future. <laughs> that sounds like something they tried to sell you after Taibo at two in the morning. All right. <laughs> Something in between uh, Susan Summers' legs in late-night television for 1999. <laughs> well, from what I've read, this is not from the comic. This was something made up by the writers. Oh, yes, so. clearly. I, you know, I don't have to read a comic book to know this is some shit they came up with in the last minute. Please go on. But Elektra is full of anger, and as we all know, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to the dark side, so Stick casts Elektra out. And instead of returning to Hell's Kitchen to be with her lover, Elektra becomes the world's best assassin! It's always a good plan, B. Killing anyone if the money's right, aided by her agent, because hitmen have agents now, McCabe, who worries because Elektra seems to kill even when not being paid. But McCabe has a new assignment for Elektra for a cool two mil, and while she waits for the target... She is forced to stay at a nice beach house, bonding with neighbor Mark Miller, not the writer of the Kick-Ass comic, but being played by Gorin Vishnik, and Miller's kleptomaniac, rebellious 13-year-old daughter, Abby. Abby reminds Elektra much of herself as a child, and when Elektra is told her targets are Mark and Abby, she refuses and instead protects the two from the Hand, a group of evil mystical ninjas led by Roshi. Not Yoshi with Mario, but Roshi. The Hand wants Abby, as Abby is the Chosen One. Or, sorry, wrong movie. The Treasure, a powerful warrior who has the ability to tip the balance between Roshi's evil ninjas and Stick's good ninjas. When the Hand ninjas fail to get Abby, Roshi's son Karigi asks for the assignment with his black magic-using partners. Stone, a strong and vulnerable man. Tattoo, a man whose full-body tattoos of animals can come to life. Typhoid Mary, whose kiss brings sickness and death. And... Kinku, who kind of got screwed in the powers department, he has a knife. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about Kinku. 
The battle rages on for about an hour of the film, and Electra goes to Stick for help in a pool hall, discovering Stick was the one who originally hired her to kill Mark and Abby, hoping the mission would bring out the good in Electra and have her turn away from the dark side. Stick starts to train Abby in the ways of the Force, or Kimiguri, or whatever you want to call it, and Electra and Karigi agree to duel at Electra's girlhood home, the Nachios estate, which Karigi knows because he's the one who killed Electra's mother. They fight. Eh? <laughs> we'll get and I'll there. Say. <laughs> they fight in the house. They fight in a hedge maze borrowed from The Shining. And Electra kills all the evil ninjas. And Abby and Mark stay with Stick to fulfill Abby's destiny. While Electra goes off to find her own way. Apparently now a hero. So Stuart, you asked for a plot. That's a plot. Yes. You can bury things in it. <laughs> I gotta say, I was curious, particularly with the way this begins, that they have established that Electra is alive and now an urban legend. As if the children of New York are going to talk about the Greek chick that got stabbed by Bullseye after she beat up the blind lawyer. Like, that's not a legend, urban or otherwise. Like, there's been a huge jump between the end of Daredevil and where we're at now. I'm surprised that they had us filling in all the details for ourselves. Well, they kind of did. I mean, there's that opening narration by Terrence Stamp. And it's really dense. And there's two cuts of this movie. Why the Fox, why do you do this to me? But I had to watch both cuts <laughs> in close succession. Unlike Daredevil, these two cuts, almost indistinguishable. Waste of my time. It mostly MPAA differences. But on the second watching, this opening narration tells you everything. You just don't know it is. <laughs> well, that's helpful. <laughs> I'm not going to watch this again, so tell me what I missed. What was dense about this opening? There's a weapon that will either aid good or evil, so both sides are trying to get that weapon to succeed. Yes, but first of all, it tricks you, because while he's talking about a girl who can change the balance of the force, they're showing us drawings of Electra. So we think that that's Electra. Well, yes, of course there's the misdirection. They talk about a motherless daughter, which I guess kind of applies to Electra. She's like five or six, it looks like, when her mom died. But they're also talking about how Kimiguri can allow them to see the future and raise the dead. This It's this raise the dead that's supposed to tell us everything we need to know about how Electra comes back. Well, I had pegged last time, they made such a deal about the fact that her mother gave her this pendant, and her mother this, and her mother that, and the only thing you know about Electra is that she's got a mother complex. I'm thinking, that pendant's gotta be the thing that's gonna bring her back to life. Nope, it's just a quick and dirty rub down in the back seat with Terrence Stamp. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Do you use shiatsu or Swedish techniques, Terrence? <laughs> God damn. Now, there was an alternate opening that was far more linear, and it actually starts with Electra in the ambulance. In the theatrical cut and the director's cut, we get flashbacks to this. The entire intent was to pick this movie up right where Daredevil left off, and Electra's in the ambulance, and then 50 ninjas come and steal her body. Why didn't they do it? Unfortunately, that 50 ninjas storming L.A. scene was late in the filming schedule after they were already over budget, and Fox said no. <laughs> Yeah, because why not have some actual ninjas in a movie about ninjas? They're actually removing ninjas from this film. This film needed more. Yeah, so Fox said, ah, you don't need that opening sequence that explains everything. Do a voiceover <laughs> instead. We already have stamp on payroll. Ouch. Wow. So 
this leads me to my first hypothesis of this thing. Fox had no faith in this film. They assigned it to a TV director, for crying out loud. Stuart, you and I both know Rob Bowman, and maybe Jacob does. Were you an X-Files fan, Jacob? I watched a few episodes now and then. Well, you probably saw some he directed. He directed a ton of them, including some of the better ones. He also directed X-Files Fight the Future. Yep, the better of the two X-Files movies. That's the <laughs> closest to a compliment I got. He also did Reign of Fire. Oh. Didn't okay. see it. It burns, so I'll yes. that. <laughs> Maybe with a couple beers you might get me to that one. <laughs> so they gave it to a television director and brought in one of the writers who did rewrites to like X2 and said go to town and didn't give it much of a budget. All the behind-the-scenes stuff on this is just terrible. I've never heard a director talk about tantrums he threw on the set before. But Bowman was open about how he was unprofessional and would throw tantrums and not have money. and Himself? Yeah. That he... <laughs> wow. He's like, we're human. I had a bad day. I kind of acted out of control. I thought wow. that was always the actors. <laughs> I mean, that's what the director's for is to listen to them whine and bitch. What, what do you do when the director's doing it? Cut their funding and say no ninjas for you? <laughs> well, I don't think the philosophy is a wrong one. If you're going to make an electric movie, you make it on the cheap. There's no reason to think that this would gross what Daredevil does. In fact, they rarely do. I mean, the Adam's rib syndrome of we're going to take a popular male character and then they have their female spinoff never really pays out. Who likes She-Ra more than He-Man? It never works that way. The philosophy was right. You make it down and dirty. You make it a grindhouse thing. To which I would say you make it an R-rated movie. You make it ultra-violent. You go crazy with it. One of the problems here, not only does it feel like it's made by a TV director. It feels like it could be one of these TV movies we've seen. And I'm right there with you, Stuart. Like, the first five minutes of this film, I'm kind of enjoying because they're playing up her mystery. She's storming the mobster's castle and the surveillance cameras are going out and people are getting picked off one by one. Like, I'm enjoying that. There's some energy there. I like martial arts films. I like ninjas. I like action stuff. This first five minutes worked for me, but then this movie just goes in some really weird directions. Well, let's stick to this first five minutes, because after I got over the fact that they're using a Greek Sigma symbol as the letter E, which is wrong in the opening <laughs> credits, but hey, it looks mystical, right? It's, <laughs> never mind anything accurate. We get the kick-ass scene of Electra coming after this guy, and I like this opening, but I'm with Stuart, and I'm wondering, is this even the same Electra? Because when last we saw her, she was not killing people ruthlessly. What's really weird about the Daredevil film is they do Elektra's origin story and then go to her most famous story after she's been an assassin for a really long time. Like, there's a bunch of stuff in between there in the comic book continuity where she, like, trains to be a, an assassin, a ninja, and goes on all these bounty hunter adventures. You cut all that out, and then it looks like with this film, they're like, oh, here's the middle part of that. Here's where she's that cold, steely assassin, which that's why people like Elektra. I never got that in the first film. You know, when we talked about Daredevil, I said I didn't really get Jennifer Garner's physicality in this film, at least I was getting that. I was getting more of that Electra feel here. I still feel like Garner has been robbed of an origin story. She just kind of shows up in a leather pussycat dolls outfit and Daredevil gets one half of a fight and is killed. And here, all of a sudden, she's gone from that to being this urban legend killer. And I feel like I really wanted to see how this happened. I really feel like this was the wrong place to start. 
And I also thought it was kind of funny that they have her target, DeMarco, played by Jason Isaacs. He's kind of a British character actor. You see him pop up in Harry Potter movies, and he's always the sniveling Brit villain. He's explaining to his new bodyguard about how they have no hope of defeating her. I'm like, why'd you hire me? <laughs> why am I on your payroll? Really? You're going to pay for me knowing that I'm going to die? I mean, I... Wow. <laughs> I mean, I thought my job was bad. Yeah, he even says if I told you, you wouldn't have taken the job. No shit. <laughs> Why did you spend the money? <laughs> I mean, really. The fact that Jason Isaacs has accepted the fact that this Kaiser Soze villainous woman is coming for them and there's nothing they can do is all kinds of camp silliness. I mean, what are they going to explain here? It seems like so much of this film is about her anger. She comes back from the dead and she's really angry. That's why Stick kicks her out of the ninja clan because she has a lot of anger. Well, what's the source of that anger? It never gets explained as far as I could tell. Is it that she misses Matt Murdock? That she's still not over her father being killed? Did she have a run-in with some evil demons while she was dead? Oh, forget about her father being killed. Now it's her mother got killed. I mean, that's the root of it. But that's what I'm saying. Did she have a bad experience seeing her mother in the afterlife while she was dead? Like, why is she so angry all of a sudden? Because I didn't get any of that anger until her father died in Daredevil. Agreed. And maybe death's just a bitch. But in the last film, they talked about her mother being killed, and it was strongly inferred that Kingpin had something to do with it, right? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't stated outright. I guess we're back to Whistler. We didn't see the bullet go into his head, but it seemed implied to me that Kingpin's like, I killed your wife and now I'm going to kill you, right? Am I alone on that? I don't know. I've never understood what this character is because as it is, she just looks like any hit person we would have seen in any movie. I'm not getting it. I don't even think she's that good at it. I mean, like, later she's cleaning up the job from her DNA and, like, she's not even wearing gloves. I'm like... No, she was wearing gloves. Is that what she was doing? Was she cleaning up her own mess? Yes! I thought she just went home and was cleaning, and I'm like, what the hell? I think she was at home. I think she went home and was cleaning her own house. Well, regardless, would you ever see Wolverine clean up a table? Would you ever see Superman <laughs> mopping up the floor? Like, this is so sexist. Like, it's the female protagonist. She's going to go home after a hard day of killing and mop the floor. Okay, I'm going to argue with you on this, Jacob. I have seen a male protagonist who I'm a huge fan of do this exact thing. Monk. I think they ripped off Monk. I think she's the Tony Shalhoub of the Marvel Universe now. Doesn't Monk have OCD too? Yes, he's an OCD detective. But in the last movie, she was not OCD at all. What does her OCD ever pay off in this film? It does not. It is one of so many things put here just so she could have things in common with the treasure, Abby. Abby's OCD, Electra's OCD. Who decides that this is a great kryptonite for Electra? If I was Karigi, I would take care of Electra by making things dirty and then stab her while she's cleaning. <laughs> well, when they do have their final fight, they use their mystic powers to remove the dusty bed sheets from the furniture. Maybe that's why she she got knocked out so much during that. There was a lot of linen in that final fight. A lot of white linen flying around. I was wondering what that was about. But, like, I'm waiting, like... They don't say she's OCD right away, but she gets to the lake house and she's setting up all her toiletries in line and then she rearranges the fruit. I'm like, okay, she's OCD. Is this going to be some clue that the 
FBI is able to figure out who she is because she does that at the crime scenes when she assassinates people. No, there's nothing to the OCD thing. I'm like, that's great. So we're going to have our female hero not only spends her time cleaning, but she's also mentally ill. Again, I don't see that happening with Superman or the Hulk or any of that. Well, those two go hand in hand. She's cleaning because she's mentally ill. So you're telling me this isn't from the comic. Not any of the comics I read. I wasn't able to find this anywhere. Now, she did, in one miniseries, spend some time in a mental institution. People argue about the continuity of that story. But as we get into this film, there's a lot of demons and stuff that we start seeing. So there's some of those elements with these demons and these visions. Are they real? Are they in her head? But, no, she's not OCD. Okay, that was the only explanation I could have given it, is if they were being true to the comic book character and the character was neurotic. But then, no, this is stupid. And then not only have they given her OCD, they've given her powers. She can see the future. And this is played up a little bit more in the director's cut where you get a fake out where you see Electra killed. But no, it's just Electra seeing the future so she can avoid being killed. It's very Final Destination-y, Jacob. Well, they do play that up. That's what she's trying to learn, whatever that Kawasaki power <laughs> is that she's trying to learn from the stick. And again, in a lot of martial arts or ninjas, there's always those kind of stories, there's a sense of mysticism and meditating, be able to see the future and to be able to guess what your opponent's move is going to be. So that actually didn't bug me as much as the freaking OCD mental illness in this film. Both bothered me because as I understand it from the comics I have read with her in it, she isn't super, she's just a really good ninja. Well, yeah, but those powers come with the ninja skills and the martial arts, those precognitive powers coming from meditation. So again, that's in the comic. There are those elements in there. What about her resurrection? Is that in the comics? We know Frank Miller killed her. Did Stick bring her back through Karasaki? <laughs> What originally happened when Elektra died from Bullseye stabbing her, Daredevil and Stone, who is a good guy on the side of the ninja clan, the Chaste, take her body back to Stick and try to perform a resurrection on her, which doesn't work, but it does cast out the evil spirits she had, so she has been purified of all the demons she was battling. And then later on, Stone takes the body and it's kidnapped by the Hand, the evil ninja clan, and they are successful in resurrecting her using these mystical ninja powers. So yeah, those elements are in the comics. It's something that came up in the prologue, too, that really, Electra falls in between these forces of good and evil. Like, we're supposed to think that she's right on the razor's edge between being a heroine and being contemptible. But honestly, are you guys getting this from Garner? Sure, she'll take out some noxious men, but she gets an assignment to kill two people for two million bucks, and she flinches. She doesn't even follow through on it. I don't see that on a razor's edge. I see that as someone that's making judgments all the time. And that's actions going against words because her agent is like, why'd you kill all those other people? But you only had to kill one. And she's like, ah, it helps my reputation. So it doesn't mesh. No. I definitely got the sense that she was colder, meaner, ready to kill anyone. Much better than she did in Daredevil. But yeah, the whole opening is that she's going to tilt the balances of good or evil. She is on the line. I'm not getting that sh there's any struggle with her. More to the point, I don't think Garner can play mean. I am a big Jennifer Garner fan, okay? I'm just going to put it out there. I've seen her in a lot of stuff, and other than Elektra, I liked her in most of it. And I just don't think she's giving the line deliveries here. I don't know what happened to her, what they did to her, but she looks wrong in this film. She doesn't look like Jennifer Garner as I know her. First of all, her lips are so plump, she reminded me of Goldie Hawn from the first Wives Club. So you think she had work done? I think that somebody was injecting something in those lips. 
I don't know that it would have to be cosmetic in order for her to change her face. I think Gardner is very unhappy on this. I do know that she has gone on record and said in interviews she didn't want to do this movie. And I feel like if you're getting a colder, meaner vibe off of her in this movie, it has less to do with her method acting the character and more to do with her furious at her agent for making her sign this deal. Because she's coming off like Christopher Reeve in Superman 4. I didn't want to do this. I wanted another movie. And now I got to do this and I'm pissed. I get the cold and I get the angry, but I don't feel like it's Electra. I think it's Garner. You know, maybe, but then she's a much better actress playing nice because in all promotional materials, including a video to Comic-Con, she really pulls off. She sold me that she was so excited to be doing this and that the studio had to convince her to do this. And I assume she said they did it through the script, not through lawyers. I mean, at the Comic-Con video, she's like, we're wanting to make this one for the fans. We're putting her in red because that's what the fans want. And, you know, the last movie we reviewed that I could remember people saying for the fans quite so many times was Star Trek Insurrection. <laughs> I don't remember that movie. Which one was that? That was the one with Rumpelstiltskin. Oh, yes. In the Fountain of Youth. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. the perky breasts. <laughs> that one had director Riker out there going, this one's for the fans. <laughs> Meaning nobody on set liked that. And I believe it because this movie feels like everybody was phoning it in, doesn't it? They need like to outsource this movie to a call center in India in order to handle how many people are phoning in their performance in this movie. Across the board, writer, director, performers, no one seems to have any joy on screen. Not the least of which is Electra. I would say Electra might be second to Terrence Stamp. I don't know why Terrence Stamp seems so uncomfortable, but General Zod is here presiding over the affairs as the head of, I guess you called him the Chase, Jacob, although they're never really, his clan's never named in the film that I could catch. Yeah, I didn't catch it in the film, I just know that because of the comics. They're the good ninjas. I'm always happy to see Terrence Stamp in anything from Phantom Menace to Yes Man to... Superman 2. Of course. My favorite performance of his is a little movie called The Limey. He's just great, and he's just a kick-ass assassin. He's basically doing Garner's work, and he makes you believe it, even though he's a cranky old dude. I feel like Zatoichi's who he's playing here. He's the blind sage that can see more than everyone else around him. I feel like they pushed it a little far by making him a pool shark, but they're trying to make him Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? They're trying to present him as the person with all the answers. Yeah, and he's born blind, at least in the comics. So this is something he's dealt with his whole life. He's from the comics because I was really, really pissed off that we have another blind guy who can see supernaturally. It's not supernaturally. It's that he's honed his skills being blind his whole life and being a ninja. He's the one that trained Matt Murdock when he was a young kid after he lost his father and lost his sight. Again, a character Frank Miller brought in. So a lot of this was retconned after the original origin of Daredevil, but a big character in the Daredevil mythology. Here's the problem I'm having. If Elektra had trained under him and learned all of her ninja skills from him, I would say, oh, that makes sense. And that even explains why she might be so quick to fall for Matt Murdock, the blind lawyer. But she doesn't meet Stick until after she dies and is resurrected. She's learned all of her ninja skills already from apparently treading water in a pool. <laughs> I mean, she's, she doesn't need Stick to be Electra, the super whatever. So he's coming in this way too late and he really can't teach her anything. 
that's what I wanted to ask you guys. Why is Stick saving her? Because again, in the comic, he also trained Electra after she lost her father at 19. Here, unless I miss some piece of backstory, there's a lot of weird flashbacks in this film, but he just comes and resurrects her cuz? Yeah. I don't know. And the only thing I can say is that opening narration... That would make sense if she was the treasure, but no, that's a misdirection, so I don't know why he did this. There's an alternate opening, like I said, even without the 50 ninjas storming LA. If you watch the bonus features on the director's cut, there's an alternate opening that I think director's cut should have used, which is more linear, and Terrence Stamp has a different voiceover where he talks about how they need Electra for the balance. So it's like he could see that Electra had to be the one to save Abby. Then maybe he should have stepped in before Bullseye killed her? <laughs> maybe he just wanted a good grope. I mean, who knows why? I don't know. He did put her in a red bustier, which she looked good in. <laughs> His hands were all over that body. Does the blind man have to explain any more than that? You don't sing for Ray Charles without him getting a night with you. So, I mean, maybe that's all that it was about. Way to pick up chicks. He wouldn't be the first ninja to use his martial arts for that reason. Honestly, I could usually go for this kind of character, you know, the David Carradine kung fu master thing. But his double talk here seems like it should be from the Sphinx in Mystery Man. He's like, I'm blind, but I can see better than all of you because I don't look. What? (laughs) Maybe he got the script in Braille. (laughs) I honestly don't know why Terrence Stamp needed to do this movie. It couldn't have even been for the money, because I don't think there was any. It certainly is a blight on what I think is normally a pretty solid resume. I do normally enjoy him, but here, I don't enjoy him at all, and I don't think he's enjoying it either. I hate to say it, but he's shown up by Ben Affleck, because I believe Ben Affleck couldn't see... (laughs) It wasn't until the pool scene that I even realized he was supposed to be blind. I mean, it took a while for me to get it. And then after that, did you think about it? Did you ever think he couldn't see? (laughs) I was just thinking why they chose to put him and 50 people in white coming down from the trees in that battle scene. Oh, that's straight out of Spies Like Us, isn't it? Oh, it's painful when they make senior citizens fight that really don't have the physicality. And this is just groan-inducing. But who they're fighting? The Hand. (laughs) So let's talk to the hand. Let's do. I seriously, are these guys available for parties? Because my birthday is this week and nothing would make me happier than to see them come walking through the door the way they walk into this movie. They have an entrance that had me on the ground. I love them. I mean, like one guy's like kind of like rolling something in his hand and another one's. It's a coin. He's spinning it on his finger. <laughs> the, the chick is like blowing stink kisses. I'm like, If Tattoo can just produce balloon animals out of his ass, this would be a circus for a lifetime. I love them. I love the hand. They're awesome. And for their next trick, they're going to make Jennifer Garner's dignity disappear. (laughs) Well, all right. The hand is a unit. I mean, you're specifically talking about the black magic Karagiji people, right? But the hand as a whole... I thought that's what they were. I thought the hand was specifically the less desirable, more hard-to-control element of whoever these Japanese businessmen are doing. (laughs) No, the Japanese businessmen are the hand. Oh, I thought they might have been the foot. (laughs) That's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Foot Clan. (laughs) The way I read this was the hand was specifically Kariji's person non grata gang of misfits. And that his father, 
Roshi kept being like, no, 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 we're going to use this other way. And then those ninjas kept sucking. And he finally he's like, all right, bring out the hand. No, think Blade. And Kariji is the Deacon Frost, and the old men are the elders. These are all the hand, and the hand is trying to get the girl, which is why the businessmen are trying to get the girl. Oh. Yeah, again, going back to the opening narration, good versus evil, stick and the chase, they're the good ninjas, the hand is the evil clan. It gets really heavy-handed in in a... (laughs) Cut scene because there's actually a scene at the end, which was rightfully cut, that has Stick and Roshi playing Go, just like Professor X and Magneto playing oh, chess. No, but- and talking about how the game always ends in a stalemate and how they have to keep the balance and all of this shit. Wait, if they're trying to keep the balance, why are they fighting over the treasure who's there to tip the balance? Because that's the thing. They say in this end thing is that they know it will always end in a stalemate, and I don't know. Uh, there's also something said where Roshi's like, I'm glad you helped kill my son because he was trying to take over. So who knows? It's, it's a cut scene for a reason. But yeah, this is all the hand. But there are these young upstarts in the hand who are using black magic. And yes, you got Kinku who can spin coins on his <laughs> fingers. <laughs> so helpful. I, I, I thought he was like doing some David Blaine stuff when he's come walking in. He's like doing his body movements. Seriously, yeah, I mean, I thought someone was going to get pulled out of a hat. Tattoo, the plane, the plane. The plane, the plane. <laughs> Tattoo is my favorite. He's kind of the mystique of this one. His powers are so cool that he could probably go solo. He probably doesn't need the rest of the badasses because he's the one that can do stuff. Here's the sad thing, Stuart. Tattoo is actually, in the comics, a female mutant who just has the ability to spell things out with the tattoos on her skin. What, she got something against pins? I mean, (laughs) how is that even helpful? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No, no, just text me. Don't write it on your body. (laughs) Oddly enough, though, in DC, they have a villain called the Tattooed Man who could do this. He has tattoos and they come alive and... They've done some miniseries with him. He's had some success. It's a cool power. I liked it. Not based on any Marvel comics, but there is a character like that. Well, DC needs to sue. It's a fun character. And he's like a total surfer stoner dude, too. It's like, looks too high to actually be doing anyone harm. (laughs) He does have kind of an Anthony Kiedis vibe to him, doesn't he? Yes. Stone and Typhoid Mary. Maybe my favorite. I said tattoo, but I might have to change that. She's a horrible poison ivy ripoff. We can admit this, right? I mean, she manipulates plants and has a deathly kiss. She manipulates plants? I just saw her kiss. No, she just kills the plants, and it's the only thing she can kill. Every time she tries to kill a human, she fails at that. (laughs) I don't know. She has some relationship with plants. I don't know what it is, but... Yeah, she was spreading pestilence. Here's the thing about these villains, though, and I say this about the majority of the movie. Isn't this kind of like a silent movie? Like, none of these bad guys, with the exception of Kurigi, talk. They have, like, no lines. I think Tattoo has a couple lines where, like, my eagle tells me, you know, the eagles are not what they seem. But other than that, it's like almost a silent movie where these people are interchangeable. I couldn't even keep track of how many were in this little group. This is the kind of thing that really demonstrates the strength of comics and why I like comics is when you have these kind of weird mystical teams. It works really well visually when you can do these big splashes with them. Seeing it in a movie and in a low budget film like this where that, you know, really doing a good translation isn't their number one priority. It comes off really bad. 
Oh, yes. These people rolled right in off of, like, the back row left of X3. I mean, these are, like... <laughs> The eighth string mutants here. I that mean, was better than Kiku. <laughs> yeah, they were like, which one do we put in frame? Uh, let's keep fat. Just no. And the funny thing is, Stuart, in the comics, a lot of these characters actually are mutants. The only ones that are from Elektra or Daredevil are Stone, who's actually a good guy, and Karigi. And Stick. I mean, Stick and Stone, right? And Stick. Well, yes, Stick as well. But as far as these villains go, Tattoo, a mutant, Typhoid Mary, a mutant, which I love because she has multiple personalities and each personality has a different mutant power. But yes, you're right to think these are D string, F string, F level mutants because they are in the comics. Yeah. And it's probably worth pointing out too, Zach Penn wrote X3. So he's probably had these guys lying around in other drafts. Like I said, I thought these guys were made up for this movie. It was part of the reason I walked away the first time was because these are some terrible ass villains. It was reminding me, and I know we haven't done this retrospective yet, but it was reminding me of the bad guys in Ghost Rider, just in bad, bad ways. <laughs> it's another example of what I call phoning it in. They were just like, ah, we just need some bad guys and tattoos and a stinky breath and yeah, that'll do. It is a funny introduction and the way they walk down the hallway that guy's spinning the coin i'm like it's, <laughs> it's awesome i mean seriously i was just uproariously <laughs> laughing when they came in they do it like slow-mo like they're badasses like there's reservoir dogs here but it's like the circus has come to town <laughs> i used to think you could take any group of people and have them walking in slow motion and it would look cool because i've seen it done in road trip with dj qualls hell i did it in my own wedding video and we looked badass this group is the exception that proves the rule because there was nothing cool when they were walking. Not at all, no. So they're brought in because the ninjas failed to kill the targets. The targets who are staying at a beach house in some undisclosed tropical location, Florida, California. It doesn't snow at Christmas. No, I love this. So Electra's been hired to do a job. She doesn't know what it's going to be, but when she finds out there, she's going to find out what the targets are. It's a deserted island, but two other people there. <laughs> and then she's shocked, shocked to find out that they're the ones that she's got to kill. Who is it going to be? Gilligan and Ginger? I mean, <laughs> come on. You're on an island. There's no one else. Is it that it's a deserted island? I mean, I have this question because later on, she's like, let's go talk to Stick. And Stick's at a pool hall, obviously nearby. I didn't see a plane trip. So, <laughs> I mean, are they just like in Sanibel and they are isolated from themselves and Stick just happened to be in the neighborhood? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, once you bring Stick involved in how he's sort of mastermind all of this, I mean, we're to understand that he cast Electra out of his little fold, knowing that she would go into the hit business and eventually be assigned to kill the treasure so that he... No, he hired her to kill the treasure. Who did? Stick. Terrence Stamp? Yeah. Wanted the treasure dead? No, he hired Electra to kill the treasure, hoping that Electra would find the goodness in her heart and not do it. Is this in the director's cut? This is in both cuts. I didn't get any of this. I, oh. I guess... I had glazed over and gone into daredevil mode. Listen, it was hard for me. It was as hard for me to pay attention to this film as it was for me to pay attention to Man Thing. And fortunately, I did have to watch the director's cut. And then I'd go back and watch the old cut. Was like, was that in there? Oh, yeah. I just drifted. Yes, it is in both cuts that Terrence Stamp hired Elektra to kill the treasure. That's a big huh? gamble. 
Huh. And it had to be the treasure as the target because it's a morality test? That's yeah. what you're telling me? Yeah. Wait, so did he also hire the hand ninjas that show up later on to kill them when she refuses? The hand doesn't want to kill Abby. They want to kidnap Abby and kill Mark. So they just showed up late. Yeah. That had nothing to do with Electra. Correct. Oh, man. It's another twist. It's implied that because Electra failed, the hand comes. When, in fact, it's just the hand got there later. I want you to know, Arnie, I actually did watch this movie. I'm not just trying to BS my way through this show. I, I watched this film. I didn't get any of this. It's hard to pay attention to. These are lines that are dropped. And all this comes in the second half. And I'm telling you, after the first fight in the forest, three times watching this movie, that is the moment, 45 to 50 minutes in, that it's like, I need the Clockwork Orange eyelids and chair to continue to pay attention to this film. Well, there's so many scenes in here that just drag. Like, they spend so much time just watching Jennifer Gardner swim or walk through the forest. Flashbacks upon flashbacks. And did that ever pay off either? No! All those swimming scenes of, don't use your arms, use your feet, don't be weak. This never pays off either. It doesn't tell us why she's OCD, which doesn't pay off to anything anyway. It kind of comes back at the end in a weird way that we'll talk about. But honestly, all these flashbacks, they don't give us the backstory that we've already said we needed. They just give us backstory we don't need and don't understand. Look, stick and stone may break bones, but the words are what really hurt us. I mean, anytime there's dialogue, I am tuned out. You're right. You got me. Anything that's being said, I'm not processing. I am watching this like a silent movie. It is a comical slapstick in which I, it's only alive for me when this offshoot of the hand, the finger, as I guess I'll call them, when I get the finger, I'm having a good time. When I get fingered, I like it. <laughs> Tara's stamp takes a big gamble that Electra's going to have a change of heart. And I guess the only thing is because Electra and Abby have so much in common because they're both OCD. They're both have dead mothers. They're both female. Come on, let's just cut to the chase. We're expected to think that Electra sees herself in this child and thus that's why she doesn't pull the trigger. If she's the inner child that she needs to coddle in order to be, I don't know, a better hit woman? I mean, come on, <laughs> at the end of the day, she's still going to be crushing bones. I mean, I, I don't see a softening here, but that's what we're meant to think is her story arc. That's what Electra is supposed to learn through Abby. And in turn, Abby is going to apparently learn to be a better... What is her destiny? She's going to be a hit woman, too? It's like the golden child. She just <laughs> is. She's, she's here to be the chosen one. Here was my take on this. McCabe, Electra's hitman manager... <laughs> yes. That, ...that lines everything up for her. And takes 10%. Mm-hmm. Yes. He drops a line to her, like, early on. You know, when's the last time you got laid or have you been laid? And then you get, of course, the love interest, Mark. And I really saw this, like, because it's a female protagonist, There are they trying to play this off as somewhat of a romance movie? Like, a lot of the shots here where they just linger and things just slow down. Like, it's taking me back to a chick flick. This is an action film. Things are supposed to be moving. And for me, I thought that's, you know, she's got to have a love interest because it's a female lead. Hey, Jacob, our now playing listeners know I know chick flicks. This, sir, is no chick flick. <laughs> I'm trying 
trying to figure out if there's even supposed to be a romance. Yes, I know she and Mark kiss a couple times, and I don't even really get any romantic vibes off of them, and I just think that they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because she's supposed to be pining for Affleck. Here's the truth of the matter, and I've seen this time and time again. Whenever they have a female-centric action movie, the guys that are in there are always, like, the wimpiest. I mean, they have nothing to do but play that traditional girlfriend role we see in a common action movie. So they're as lame and as worthless in their parts as the chick is usually in an action film. They're just standing around waiting to be kissed. And that's exactly what Goran Vizhnik is doing in this movie. He has nothing to do. He cannot be tough and he cannot take the fight away from the girls. So he is going to have to just wait to be rescued. He's the damsel in distress. You're not wrong because Goran apparently bitched a lot about that on set. Like, what am I doing in the scene? Why am I in the scene? Be glad! You're nothing but a third-rate George Clooney on ER. This is as good as you're ever gonna get. Truth be told, they wanted to kill him in the forest fight, and to add that to Abby's relationship with Elektra, is that both have dead fathers, and Fox said, nah, that might give us an R rating, so don't do it. You gotta keep him around to the end. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> For the R rating, which this movie sorely needed, I will again state. But yes, that would have been a better use of this character. It would have given, you're right, Abby and Elektra a little more unity as people that have both lost their fathers to violence, and all of this bonding between, you know, know, mother and child that is supposed to be happening here. It's painful, right? They could have played this differently. I mean, having just watched the Exorcist movies, you could have a credible little girl monster here. I mean, I don't know why they had to make it seem like they're mom and daughter fighting over if she's going to eat the broccoli or not. You needed to have Electra and Abby actually go head to head, not have it be a hands on the hips, go do your chores joke fight. That was a mistake. We needed to have these two in more of conflict, I think in order for their coming together at the end to have any meaning at all. I at first was seeing this kind of like Star Wars, where Abby is Luke, who has the power but is young and doesn't know it, and that put Garner in the Obi-Wan role, and I'm realizing that doesn't quite fit Terrence Stamp's the Obi-Wan, so then I went to like the prequels, which is always a step down anyway, and now Terrence Stamp is Yoda, and that makes Garner... Ewan McGregor and Abby Hayden Christensen, that would have worked if they played that out a little more Attack of the Clonesy. Yeah, every scene is about coddling and their one big fight literally feels like, if you don't do this, I'm going to take away your phone privileges. By the same token, that fight was kind of brutal because Electra keeps grabbing her by the neck. Garner looks pissed and Abby looks no, scared. No, no. I mean, if he takes away her phone privileges, she won't be able to finish the scene. Everything is being phoned in, I'm telling you. Nobody gives a shit here. These fights are lame, and this one's the lamest of the lame. I still don't get Electra's change of heart, but the assassin teaming up with the victim, have you guys seen Gross Point Blank, the John Cusack film? Yes. <laughs> I was going right back to that. I expected Dan Aykroyd to show up. And then I got thinking about it. I'm like, wait, this is a common trope. I've seen this in Ninja Assassin, in Crank. It's kind of in Born. It's in that film Hitman. It was in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. How many times do I have to see the assassin teaming up with their target to fight off other assassins? Admittedly, it's weird gross point blank was my first reference, but... But that's a decent film. I, I'm not going to mock you for that one, Arnie. <laughs> we love mocking your choices, but <laughs> I got questions about Abby. She's the treasure. How does she know she's the treasure? What does that mean to her? Has she gone through a Terrence Stamp monologue at the beginning of this film to find out what her role is? She's 
a treasure like a whale tattoo at the bottom of a Cracker Jack's box. Who wants this? Like, what good is this child going to be? She's just another chick that kicks ass in a movie populated with them. We already got two. And one of them was the treasure previously. It was like the tiara was taken away from Typhoid. But she was the treasure, as she later states. Was she again? Yes, she says she was. This is a n- more questions. She says, I used to be mm-hmm. the treasure, but yeah. so, but she didn't balance things. You see, because she doesn't speak for the entire goddamn movie, and then when she does speak, she says, I used to be the treasure. I didn't know if she meant like she used to be treasured or if she actually was the one who held in balance. Because if the treasure went to the dark side last time and the dark side didn't win, then the treasure seems kind of pointless. And especially since, again, as you said earlier, Jacob, she kills no one. Maybe this treasure, it's like the tiara when you're Miss America. It's totally pointless and meaningless, except for the person that has the crown. I mean, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know why I'm supposed to care about Abby. I don't know where she found out any of this exposition. Well, they said she's been being trained since she was five. Why? Because she's the treasure. (laughs) Who told her that? (laughs) All answers are circular. Everything leads back to, she is the treasure. What is treasuring about her? She is the treasure. It's maddening. Like, all my notes here are just questions. No. In a superhero world where I presume everyone can do kung fu and kill each other, whatever they need to be, she's just another one. Yeah, she's just the youngest version. Maybe it's just an age thing. It's like, oh, now you're the treasure because, yeah, you're getting a little old here. I'm going to go with the 13-year-old. It's actually like Hollywood actresses. (laughs) I know. Like, it's a casting couch thing. They're only the treasure till they hit 35. Yes, again, you wouldn't see that in a male-centric superhero movie, but with females, hey, let's put in some subtext about age and losing your grace as you get older. Yes, whenever they have to do a movie where it happens to be that a woman is the star of the action role, they always have to feminize it in ways that come across as very demeaning, and this movie is just another example. It's silly. Which really bugs me because again this is based off of frank miller and you can say what you want about frank miller and the way he treats women but when he writes these tough women they're basically guys without dicks there, there's some actual penis envy there i guess <laughs> <laughs> well the only one we've seen so far in this marvel retrospective that i've down with is hit girl i mean abby's got nothing on chloe Lawrence. that's what bugs me about this film is that they feminize the women so much like you're right with hit girl that's why I think she is so enduring is because she was like one of the guys. She could take a bullet to the chest. I don't think Abby could take a bullet to the chest. She could barely take one of Electra's kicks. Mm-hmm. Well, I think she's potential. Like, she'll eventually be stronger than Electra. Again, it's the Anakin Skywalker thing. Okay, but this movie's called Electra. Why are we talking so much about Abby in a movie <laughs> called Electra? This here's another problem. Yeah, I feel like if there's this tiara and baton being passed around about who's going to be the Supergirl this year, Garner should ultimately end up with that staff. So it should have been like the Matrix where Garner's told she's not the one and then at the end, oh, by the way, you are the one. Yeah, I feel like in your star vehicle, you need to be the star. You don't get upstaged by a 13-year-old kid. Now I understand what Wesley Snipes went through in Blade 3. (laughs) They're doing it to Garner here and it's ticking me off. And she looks just as pleased. At least Wesley had a good supporting cast. I mean, here, what does Abby have? She has the magic chain of death. Which she got on eBay. <laughs> yes, her, her magic jewelry, as I called it. <laughs> From eBay! I think that's a cover. I think she's trying to cover up that she was a trained warrior and earned them by being the best warrior in the village. 
at five. Oh, well, you I know did- what I find fascinating? We've sit here and we've spent more time talking about this movie than I thought we would, and we've yet to talk about the main villain, Karigi. Is he not the least interesting thing about this movie? What a bad choice they've made here, having all these colorful goofball villains, and then the one that Electra's got to defeat is the swords guy. It's really imbalanced. They needed to have something over the top. And this is the guy that we'll find out killed her mother. I honestly thought he was going to break into that Tim Curry legend makeup because in the flashbacks of him killing the mother, he's like got demon horns and things. I thought he was going to morph to the monster and that the trope I always hate. I wanted it. I so wanted it because this guy was bland. I just didn't feel like he had any of the presence. It doesn't even make any sense. He looks about her age, right? And yet she was five when her mom died. So what was he just getting out of preschool? Here's the deal (laughs) with the hand. And this is what I thought they were trying to bring into it, that the hand hand is led by a shadowy demon called the beast and so i thought maybe they were going to bring that element into it here where kariji was the beast he was this demon and as much as i hate when they turn into the evil monster i wanted something to happen yeah no you do you want that my question is was he actually a demon or was that just how electra saw him as a child. I think that's just how Electra saw him as a child, as it was revealed later. So it's even more boring than they present on screen. It might even be a spell on her, because at some point, she relives the memory and sees him going out the window, and he goes, aha, now you can see it. Alright, I got a problem with that, because they ripped off Born Identity by running to... Electra's agent's house, just like they run to that girl's boyfriend's house in Born Identity. You know what I'm talking about? I haven't seen Born Identity in a while, maybe next year with the sequel, but he teams up with that girl, and they go to her ex-boyfriend's house for sanctuary out in the country, and then the assassin comes and kills the boyfriend. Yes, yes, I recall that now. Oh, okay, yes, now I recall that. I didn't experience that watching this movie. I just thought it was strange that the only way that they could seek shelter was going to a farm. I mean, it's not a house, it's like farmland. Which is what it was in Born Identity, yep. I mean, I guess the idea is it's remote, but it has secret tunnels that lead out to forests. It's a handy farm. And I just gotta say, and again, it's her hitman agent. Still can't get over that. There's the fight in the forest, yeah. and she takes out Stone and Knife Guy. Well, well, she takes out Stone, the bulletproof man, the swordproof man with a tree. Like, wood is stronger than bullets and forged steel. It was a very big tree. Actually, the impact would be greater physically, but a couple of things there. He knocks down the tree. The tree is falling. Garner is running on top of the tree to not fall. Stone then walks in front of where the tree is falling. Garner does nothing to steer this falling tree. He just so happens wily coyote style to walk right in front of the tree he just knocked down and so he basically <laughs> committed suicide through stupidity. It's like Darwin Award there. Hey, we've all played the game. Paper beats rock. <laughs> And then he disappears in a puff of smoke. They all do. It's just the thing. Why? Because they're mystical ninjas. Yeah, it lets us know that they are supernatural, which I appreciate it. I mean, are they all raised from the dead? Is Jennifer Garner going to disappear in a puff of sulfur smoke? A lot of them actually, at least in the comics, are raised from the dead. The hand is known for resurrecting people and turning them evil. Okay, so maybe that's the case. Maybe it's because they already died once. All right, so take out Stone, and poor Kinku is so lame, he's taken out by Dr. ER. I didn't even notice how he died. Exactly, because it was done by Gordon Visionick. Oh. and (laughs) Probably at the actor's insistence that he do one thing cool, and I didn't even see it. (laughs) 
So there's that fight, and this is where I usually tune out. And Electra, after taking out Stone, is taken out by Typhoid Mary with a lesbian kiss. I love this! This is like when you watch that tentacle and tit anime shit. It's like, <laughs> you can die, it was like, oh no, let's slow-mo this with the dead leaves flying. I mean, this scene goes on for eternally. <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about. They spend like a half hour showing Typhoid Mary walking through the forest. <laughs> The only thing she could kill in this film is plants. Because that's what this movie is about. Here's the thing is, earlier we see that Typhoid Mary can blow her kiss of death. So this lip lock has to just be to titillate, right? Again, ineffective against humans, though. Well, this doesn't kill Jennifer Garner either, because Tara's stamp just shows up and goes, you'll be okay. And she is. No, no. She dies, and he raises her from the dead again. No, no she, she did not die. She did, she did, they not, did die. not do that twice. No, they, they she did, did not, not die again. I disagree. I think she more or less was on the way out, and he was like, eh, let me get the hands warmed up. Bend her over. No, they can't do that. They can't. Did he send Typhoid Mary so he could get off with, well, he's blind, so he probably didn't see the lesbian kiss, but at least he got a chance to feel her up again. He can see the pool balls. I'm sure he can (laughs) sense the lesbianism. I know I can. Yeah, this is the part of the sexism that you're talking about inherent in a female thing. There's no way they would have, like, some dude kissing Wolverine back to life. I mean, you know, like, they just wouldn't go there with it. But with chicks doing it, and it's like she hurts her with her kiss and her seductive sexiness. I mean, it is just so pandering. It's so ridiculous. If they wanted to create a kick-ass female, they would transcend these very demeaning stereotypes. That said, this scene is hilarious, and I love it. It is terrible. I just, I can't decide. I mean, they were trying to be sexy, right? Because, I mean, Jennifer Garner's decomposing and they're falling. (laughs) So I just can't decide if they're trying to be sexy or if, like, just the G4 crowd of testosterone-fueled 13-year-olds are just going to get off on it because... Kind of all of the above, right? It kind of works in all ways, except logic. But then, while Abby's being trained by the hand, and in the hand's protection, surrounded by ninjas, perfectly safe, Electra telepathically communicates <laughs> with Karigi. Yes. It must end where it began. In Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> I just laugh that even he's phoning in, literally, at this point. He's like, I can't even bother to show up. I'm just going to psychically dare you. <laughs> So it must end where it began. But at this point, Electra doesn't know Karigi killed her mother. So how does she know this is where it began? She finds out in the hedge maze. My question is, why did it begin there? Why did Karigi kill Electra's mom? Was he hired by Kingpin? Maybe it was all part of Stick's plan. Once you get into this kind of circular logic, it just... This is not circular logic! If you're gonna set up a revenge story, shouldn't there be some motivation there? Shouldn't there be a reason Karigi killed Electra's mom? Was he really going for her because she was the treasure? That Like, this is not me trying to be nitpicky. These are basic questions. If you're gonna raise this in a story, you gotta have some answers. Yeah, Zach Penn's gonna put you on hold, and you can talk to, <laughs> listen to the music forever. You can talk to the hand. Yeah, talk to the hand, exactly. I was trying to talk to the hand this whole movie. They weren't giving me any answers. No, it's very perfunctory. We have as much as we need to know to go along with its silliness, but there is nothing explained. There's nothing here. So they fight in the sheets. (laughs) At one point, he's even wrapping it around himself like, oh, I feel good. (laughs) It's like a downy ad. 
I think that this scene should have been stylish and exciting, like that scene from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but this just came off too abstract and hard to follow. It ended up making me think more of Transformers than anything else. I couldn't follow who was slicing what. It was very music video. I feel like this is Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart, or something like that. Looks cool. I mean, I kind of can go with, like, it's got atmosphere, but when they get to fighting, it really, it's not functional. And why are they going for atmosphere in such a perfunctionary movie? Like, there's these times where they seem like they're trying to add some stylistic elements to this film. Why is your budget going to this instead of some actual martial artist who could do some, you know, choreograph some decent fights, which this movie should have, being about (laughs) ninjas? There is no fighting here. I agree. It's like when she takes out the ninja, she like turns on the gas stove. Yes, she's I'm like she they gotta send her into the kitchen. I mean, really? God. Well, she's a woman killer. So if you can't take the heat, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, is she paying the gas bill? This is like a rundown place that she's at. Like, really? You still pay the bills? All right, light the match. Yeah, I'm not enjoying these fights either. There's one scene where, like, Karigi kicks Elektra, and it makes Elektra and Abby both fall back. And I like Mortal Kombat, the Paul Anderson film. But this was so bad, I would have preferred Scorpion to step out of the sheets and go, (laughs) Get over here! (laughs) And then they kill Tattoo, because Tattoo was covering Abby in snakes, and Elektra says, Nice trick, but I've seen it before. When? Okay, so it's not, uh, on two and a half watchings, I didn't miss that, okay. Well, she's seen him use birds and wolves and stuff, so maybe- But wouldn't you use that line when it had actually been used on you, where the snakes were all over you and you were scared, and now you, like, it just doesn't make sense the way it pays off here. That's because it doesn't pay off here, (laughs) it's just there. At least she doesn't ask what happens to a snake when it meets her sword. But then she fights Karigi, and- Karigi gets her down. She's down by the wishing well, and then he coaches her back to life like her father used to. I thought he just said something that triggered a memory when she was swimming, which is why we needed the 30,000 swimming flashbacks in this film. For this payoff? I have no idea what's going on here. At this point, I don't even care. I do sense that the end is near, and I'm just counting the frames. But it is near, but it comes so quickly after this huge fight, Electra suddenly just is like, okay, now I'm going to kill you really easily, and I'm going to throw my scythe through a whole bunch of bushes and kill Typhoid Mary, too. If Electra could kill them all this goddamn easily, why did it take so freaking long? They hadn't hit the 90-minute mark yet? Eh, eh, eh. The call you are trying to make cannot be answered at this time. <laughs> Please try again. <laughs> But Abby was killed by Typhoid Mary. Typhoid Mary does kill somebody in this film. Abby. See, by this point, I'm like, she's not really dead. Because Typhoid Mary can't kill no one unless they're a plant. No, she killed Abby. The treasure is dead. Yes, and they take the treasure to the bed where the mom died. It didn't even change the sheets. For all the sheets (laughs) flying around, same bed. I like that there's the flashback in Electra's mind of the coroner. Like, they left a little girl, five-year-old, watching the coroner take the body, too. (laughs) But it's all so that she can relive the moment and heal now that she has the, what's it called? Karachi? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Benihana? Kimaguri. Kimaguri. Okay, yeah. I just love she does the Mr. Miyagi move to bring Abby back to life. She slaps the hands and rubs them. And... Yeah, it's as close to a character arc as we're going to get. And now she can go on with her... Her anger is gone now because she brought... Where is she going? She walks she- away at the end of this. I'm like, don't you live here? Isn't this your vineyard? <laughs> well, moreover, you know, you call this ninja group the finger 
So the hand just gives up on trying to get the treasure because a bunch of D-ranked ninjas failed that weren't really highly esteemed? Well, there's always the chance for a sequel. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering myself where she was going at the end of this. My only thought is, again, there is that cut scene, not even reinserted on the director's cut, of Affleck. And Affleck saying, come back to me, Electra. And I really think you guys need to YouTube this deleted scene because they didn't even put Affleck in wardrobe. He's in jeans and a sweater is how I would picture Affleck to go to Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) So they just grabbed him, you know, out of the house that morning. Oh, well, I told you he wasn't going to put that suit on again. He knew he had made a mistake there. And they also didn't put in the eye contact lenses. He makes eye contact with her in this vision. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But he's saying, come back to me, Electra. And Electra goes, I will when I'm ready. And then she like wakes up from this vision or this psychic phone call. So I'm guessing now she's come to peace and she's headed back to Hell's Kitchen. That's what I take it. Oh, okay. Or maybe she's just going off to live with Ben Affleck and realize that this franchise is a smoldering, burning ember on the ground and that there's nothing that can be done to save it. There'll be no more Daredevil or Electra with these two. And I'm not sad. Well, I guess this leaves. Jacob, Stuart, do you dare recommend Electra? Jacob. Look. I had a lot of questions watching this film. Thank you, Arnie, for shedding some light after watching it three times, because I wasn't willing to put in that work to get some of those answers. Yeah, I didn't just get the finger. I got the hand on this one. (laughs) There's a lot of movies that I enjoy that have a lot of questions. (laughs) This isn't one of them? This is not one of them. I can enjoy a movie just based on the action. I've talked about this before. Martial art movies, they're pretty much like porn. There's some buildup to get to a fight and then a really good fight. And then a build up to get to another fight. And I enjoy those. I enjoy the choreography, the talent that goes into being able to perform those kind of moves. So Electra, Ninja, Assassin. Okay, I don't need a real strong story if I have something that's visually exciting. Unfortunately, yes, this is a silent film, but it's not a silent film that's visually engaging. It's a silent film where nothing happens. I just found myself bored throughout this film, and it was really weird because I'm like, okay, this is assassins, this is ninjas, and we have these long shots of treading water. I felt like I was treading water to get through this film. A strong not recommend. I will share with the audience, Jacob, coming into this, I thought if any of the three of us would recommend it it would be you because i know your love for like bruce lee type films and this does have kind of an enter the dragon thing going on kind of as in they both have martial arts that's about it that's about the only similarity for me and entire like ninja training camps Stuart. Well, the question for me is, did I enjoy this more than Daredevil? And the answer is yes. Whoa. I enjoyed this a lot more than Daredevil, if only for the finger. (laughs) If I could just give you the finger, you would have a good time. But I can't just give you the finger. If I recommend this movie, I have to give you it in total. And it is not an enjoyable camp fest. Even though there were things that made me laugh and I really appreciated in the way that I would recommend Jaws the Revenge over Jaws 3, I cannot give this the so bad it's good recommend, even though I kind of would like to. It's bad! And some of it is glorious in its awfulness, (laughs) but at the end of the day, it's about as appealing as typhoid's breath. It just, it'll knock you over. It's bad. So in other words, if you could lube the (laughs) finger, you'd give it to us, but since you can't... Listeners, I think they know what they're into. If this sounds up your alley, go ahead and give it a wriggle. And for me, I mean, 
I did come into this with an open mind, and there have been films for now playing that I watched the first time and didn't really appreciate, but, you know, sometimes I could chalk it up to mindset and things. The fact that I relived my experience watching this the first time when I watched it the first time for this review, where after 45 minutes, it just became such a strain on me. And it's funny, because if you see my notes from the original theatrical cut, they stop at that orchard fight. I have like two sentences after that. I just, I disengaged because this movie is disengaging. All I can say is to quote this movie, there's this little cutesy line after Electra and Mark kiss and Electra goes, yeah, I hated that. Remove the sarcasm. And that's my impression here. Yeah, I hated that. <laughs> this is Electra, the tragedy, not recommend. So Stuart Jacob, another Marvel like a hand ninja bites the dust. Yep. I've got good movie envy going on right now. I want to see a good movie. <laughs> Who do you want to blame for this? The director blames the studio for not giving him the money and the time and the final cut. I'm kind of blaming the writer. Stuart, you seem to blame everybody. Do you think that there's a focal point of cause here, or do you think this was just a mess? I'll start at the very root. I don't know yet what would be interesting about this character to film. I cannot glean from Daredevil or Elektra what would be interesting or unique about this character that I couldn't get out of Tomb Raider or Kill Bill. I just don't see the need to make this poor knockoff. And yes, every other decision afterwards was not satisfying. It was a bunch of people doing something as a chore rather than as a love. I just do not feel there was any love in putting out this copycat of a copycat of a copycat. And I, yeah, I blame the comic. I'm going to have to defend the comic because that's, that's my job. I enjoy the character, at least the Frank Miller stories of this character. I don't mind a knockoff of a knockoff. I enjoy B-movies. There's a certain energy to them, even though you know you've seen this done before, filmed with better cameras. What really confuses me, how do you read this script and see <laughs> how filming's going and just keep going with it? Bad movies always baffle me. I'm fascinated with watching awful movies because doesn't someone at some point have the spine to speak up and say, yo, this sucks? I like the source material this came from. Yes, it's in this age with Kill Bill and all those other movies we discussed. We've seen it before. But hey, give me another great movie with ninjas and kick-ass women. I'm going to at least enjoy that. And I think this could have worked. Here's the thing that I like about the Marvel Comics series. And the reason why I think we can do so many of them is because they're not all Spider-Man. They're not all kick-ass either. There are so many different things. Blade kind of goes into horror, and there is the contingent. And Stuart, you and I may not be the target market. I think Jacob is for martial arts films that deal with ninjas. I keep trying to get into that. I, I like the theory. I love ninjas growing up. I remember fearing poor Jimmy Bolt and his throwing star on the school bus, but I just can't get into the ninja thing. But the great thing about the diversity of Marvel Comics is, yeah, for that audience who can't get enough Kill Bill, you could have made a good one. You could have taken that comic book character and made a good Elektra ninja assassin film. This didn't do it. Oh, I, and I'm not knocking ninja movies. I mean, 13 Assassins is one of my favorite movies of this year. Give me a good version of anything and I'll enjoy it. The problem is, if there's anything good about this character, I have yet to see it anywhere on this screen. I've never read an Elektra comic. I never will because of these two movies. No way. They've defamed anything that would have been good about this. They've heard a Greek myth, and those things are supposed to be timeless. 
If you're not going to read a Marvel comic, Stuart, I think I've got a reading assignment for you. Indeed. And I better get cracking because it's going to be on Books and Nachos next week. We're going to be doing, starting next Tuesday, all of the movies that feature Hannibal Lecter. And I cannot wait to do this. This is one I've been dying to do. It's sort of our Halloween freebie that we'll be doing all the way until Halloween Day, October 31st. We're going to be unveiling Manhunter, Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, Red Dragon, and Hannibal Rising, and I will be concurrently over at Books and Nachos reading every book that the movie was based on. All the works of Thomas Harris. Great one. So, Jacob, you said you had good movie envy. I know there's at least one good one in there. I've seen a couple of those, only a couple of them, and I enjoyed them. So, so hopefully the rest of them fulfill that envy as well. And don't forget, if you want to help Now Playing and continue with Now Playing... We need your donations, and we're doing a donation drive again to help keep Now Playing on the air. If you donate $10, you can get The Exorcist, because Stuart and I are going to debate on Manhunter, how appropriate Hannibal Lecter is for Halloween, but nobody can deny Satan is appropriate for Halloween, or or Pazuzu, if you want to get familiar. <laughs> so, for $10, Stuart, Brock, and I dance with the devil in the pale moonlight of The Exorcist. <laughs> Uh, that's right. It's unfolding as we speak. This Friday, we're going to be covering Dominion. It's the first of two part fours of The Exorcist. It's a little hard to explain now, but if you listen to the show, you'll get it. We're going to be doing Dominion this Friday. We've already done Exorcist 1, 2, and 3, and we'll be topping that off with Exorcist The Beginning. And if you donate $10 now, you get all of these in one blast. Great for any road trips or lawn work. And if you go the extra mile and become a super donor and help us out by donating $25 or more, you get also The Thing. I'll be covering that at Books and Nachos, too. It's a book? It is a short story. And I will be reviewing that when we release our first show, The Thing from Another World, the 1950s version of the story. We're also going to be doing John Carpenter's 80s story. And then there's a new one going to be out in theaters mid-October. That'll conclude it right around Halloween. So if you got $25 burning in your pocket, you're going to get Exorcist and Thing in a two-month-long celebration of all things horror. And don't forget, you don't have to stop at 25 You don't have to stop at 10 If you can do, you know, between 10 and 25 this isn't us selling podcasts. We don't have a fixed price. These are thresholds to get the shows, but really think about the shows we put out for free every week and donate what you feel we deserve for all the weekly content, all the Marvel stuff, the Hannibal Lecter stuff, the bonus series that Jacob Brock and I threw in, Final Destination, all of that. And, you know, we're looking at next year. It's going to be a busy year, and we did Final Destination because the donations in the spring were so good. We got Batman and Men in Black and Spider-Man. I mean, we, we don't know how to fit all these in. And so, truthfully, donations will help to get more bonus-free podcasts if cumulatively... We're able to cover all our costs. I mean, movie tickets, desire. I want to be able to do all of the series that you guys are talking about, but... If you guys like our show enough to donate, then we know that it's worth going that extra mile. It does give me hope sometimes when I'm in the middle of a series that hasn't been very rewarding. <laughs> but yes, I certainly won't stop anyone that wants to donate over $25. Give what you can. We'll always be for free. Lecture's going to be for free. It's going to be a great series. I hope you stick around next week for Manhunter. That's the Michael Mann 1986 first appearance, not Anthony Hopkins, of Hannibal Lecter. We'll be doing that next week. And after that, back to Marvel. 
Jacob, this is your baby, right? Are we doing the Punisher finally? We are doing the Punisher uh, finally. You're going to have to cut me off. These might end up being six-hour shows. I could talk about the Punisher for hours. I do on a regular basis. I'm excited. Even for a Dolph Lundgren film, I, I, I got to say, that besides Rocky Four, maybe we'll do that someday, but I get excited even for a Dolph Lundgren Punisher film. You know what? Let's spill the beans. Let's tell the audience right now something they don't know. Are you going to make it official? We're going to make it official right now. After Punisher... Because you demanded it. Again, we always try to give back to our fans who support us. We've had a lot of demand in the forums and on the Facebook and on the Twitter. Yes, I called it Twitter. For Rocky. And so, you know what? Mission Impossible doesn't look all that good. Sherlock Holmes... Let's do Rocky. I want to do Rocky. Rocky is a childhood favorite of mine. At least those first four vivid memories, I'll be happy to go back and revisit those. And I will be mostly the newbie because other than channel flipping on TNT, there's only one Rocky film I've seen in full. You're not a true American. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun, guys, and a great way to end the year. I look forward to hearing that show. So we'll be back next week with Manhunter, and this Friday, if you donate, with Exorcist 4. So until next time, justice is served. Was all this a test? Everything from the day you threw me out has it all been a test. Some lessons can't be taught, Electra. They must be lived to be understood. Thank you for listening to the now-playing Daredevil Electra movie retrospective series, part of our Marvel Comics movie series. Is that really necessary? Necessary? No. It was fun. And we dare you to come to NowPlayingPodcast.com, where you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics films, such as Fantastic Four, X-Men, Blade, Howard the Duck, and more, as well as reviews of non-comic book films like Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and Inception. There'll be more coming. What's coming next will be worse. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Marvel movie films with other listeners. You know the great strength of the church? It's sense of community. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Somebody's been talking. Somebody always does. Oh, speaking of bills, your client, Mr. Lee, he made his first payment. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Yeah, well, I go salsa dancing on the weekends, but I don't shake my ass to pay my phone bill, you know what I'm saying? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Because if you don't, I'll just keep breaking into your house. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available at our homepage. Oh, come on, man. I'm throwing you gold. Give me my money. Now Playing's Daredevil Retrospective series is edited by Arnie. Do you want to learn something really, really difficult? Credits read by Brock. What about you? Because I can. Because I'm not afraid. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or 20th Century Fox. The Marvel characters and all that the Marvel Universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Marvel Publishing Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. As you're returning in this matter, I advise you take no further action. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. You're talking riddles, old man. It keeps my students alert. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2011, 
All rights reserved. Are you finished? We only have an hour to prepare for court. Justice is served. I want a bloody costume. I actually had to uh, look up a sh- I, I just spell a lot phonetically in my notes this time. <laughs> I want a fucking costume. I watched a documentary that came on the Electra Blu-ray about Electra, but it was spoken by an actual Greek, and the accent was so thick, I couldn't understand it. I watched it <laughs> twice and couldn't make heads or tails of it. I want a bloody costume. Starring the now someone, now sizzling hot Jennifer Garner. In 2003, Jennifer Garner was that girl from Alias. But with 13 going on 30 in 04, Alias... <laughs> Is that a joke? No, that was a big thing for her career. It was a big thing indeed. It was a big ripoff. A ripoff of the Tom Hanks big movie. <laughs> but her career caught fire after that, and she was in demand. <laughs> Are you her new publicist? Yeah, sizzling hot after 13 going on 30. Yeah, it made a couple of shekels. I don't think anyone's thinking about it. Admittedly, she went on from this to catch and release, so it's not like <laughs> something huge. No, I really feel like you're you're talking her up Stuart, a little more. Stuart, give Arnie a break. You know his, his guilty pleasure for the rom-com thing we'll just never understand. <laughs> want a fucking costume from the time you named jolie's the queen uh, we'll see uh, we could debate that maybe on another series another podcast but Are i would say jolie retrospective with firefox i'm down <laughs> <laughs> i would say i want a bloody costume arnie i gotta ask you because i agree with you Stuart. you know i i enjoy a good female fronted action film we're I, watching a woman kick ass if you're asking me but, yes i enjoy a good female front too <laughs> I want a fucking costume. No, it's not Roshi. It is You're Roshi. wrong. It is Roshi. Roshi isn't leading the hand. It's Kirigi. No, Kirigi is Roshi's son. I know. Roshi doesn't have anything to do with the hand. He leads the hand. He's the leader of it, and Kirigi comes in and says, if I kill her, I get to be the new leader. Oh, we're gonna have you're gonna have to explain this to me. I didn't understand that that, that way. It's in the script. It says it. Right. Did you read the script or watch the movie, Jacob? <laughs> that, that's all I'm doing is I, I'm just, just reciting yeah. dialogue. I, I, okay. I, I have things to say about Roshi, so that's why I brought yes. up Roshi. I agree. <laughs> wow, you have okay. I have no Roshi notes. Of- <laughs> <laughs> Any notes on Yoshi? <laughs> His tongue really is good at killing Koopas. <laughs> I, I had some questions about the sixth level. To be settled in our review of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah. <laughs> I want a bloody costume. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's <laughs> Karigi? Is that what it is? It's Karigi. So he tries to trade Electra and Karigi, which includes the ability to see the future. I want a fucking costume. Stick starts to train Abby in the ways of the forest, or Karigi, or whatever you want to call it, and protect Abby, and Electra and Kimiguri agree to duel at Electra's girlhood home, the Nachios estate, which- Wait a minute. What did you call him? Kimiguri. I thought it was Karigi. Karigi. Yeah, Karigi. <laughs> Kimiguri's the other thing. That's I, I the Suzanne Summers toy. <laughs> no, yeah, Karigi is the other thing. Kimiguri yeah. is the son. No, uh-uh. Karigi is, is the son. Oh, fuck, I have to do this whole thing over. <laughs> I think you might. <laughs> don't look at it that way. Just think of it as getting the bloopers out of the way. 
<laughs> okay. So, Karigi's the son? Yes. Yes. Are we sure of this? Oh, yes, yes positive. <laughs> All right, let me fix this in my goddamn notes. Yeah, you said it once, and I'm like, I'll let it slip. And then you said it again, and I'm like, nah, I gotta do something. Okay. So, he's be- she's being trained in Kimaguri. I guess. I didn't even know there was a name for it. I, I thought it was Kawaguri, but whatever. Uh, yeah, well, just close enough. You know, just... Okay. Kawasaki something. <laughs> I want a bloody costume. So you think she had worked on? I think that somebody was injecting something in those lips. <laughs> Maybe it was Affleck, but something was going in those lips. I want a fucking costume. She doesn't even have a strap on. I mean, if she's going to have a penis envy, uh, let's see it. I want a bloody costume. Yeah, what's his character's name? Starts with a D. No, Dorf. Uh, Deacon. Deacon Frost. Yeah. And Karigi. Keiji. Ah! <laughs> Karigi. Or Karigi. I think it's actually Karigi, but okay. Karigi's fine. I want a fucking costume. Listen, it was uh, hard for me. It was man thing hard for me. <laughs> to- <laughs> wow, that came out wrong. Yeah, my man thing. It was man thing hard. <laughs> That's what makes it a man thing. I want a bloody costume. We'll talk about this when we get to Catwoman, too, but yes. <laughs> we're doing Catwoman? What? <laughs> well, we're doing Batman. I mean, you know. <laughs> wait, wait, oh, shit. <laughs> All I'm saying is that... I want a fucking costume. I would have preferred Scorpion to step out of the sheets and go, <laughs> Get over here! <laughs> Wait, I don't think I get that. Oh, you mean from Mortal Kombat? Yeah. Okay, I thought you meant the band Scorpion. So I was like, yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> the winds of change are blowing through the sheets. I want a bloody costume. Um, I don't even know how to articulate how much I don't want to recommend this. I want a fucking costume. Did I have a closing line? For Electra? Do we have a line? No, I. she doesn't really have a catchphrase, does she? Until then... Did, but did I use one for Daredevil at all? Let me... Uh, you did. You. It was... Um, smell you later? I did not say <laughs> smell you later. Just blow him a kiss. Mwah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I had one. We'll no, t- the kissing... That's funny. Just do that. So until next time... <laughs> did that come out? Know. Did it sound like a kiss? No, you gotta do it again. Oh, I, I ruined it. You're not on my track. That's true. I didn't uh, hear it. I was laughing too hard. <laughs> Till next time. No, that was too quiet. Here. Edit that in. I'll, I'll, you could take credit for that kiss. How about I use tongue? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do a we're the newlywed oh, now? Oh, man <laughs> thing. <laughs> this is getting way too homoerotic as we're blowing kisses to each other. You like that lesbian kiss, now have the homosexual gay kiss. <laughs> now playing. <laughs> we're, we're, it, we're all about equality of the sexes. I want a bloody costume.